Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. And it's good to be back here, right? Yeah, it's good. I want to talk to you a little bit about, the, there's this idea in, in, in Christianity, it's called, it's called sanctification. Sanctification is, is a process, um, you have salvation, where you get saved, and which is what we've been talking about in Romans, is soteriology. And then this sanctification, it's the sanctity, it's, it's, it's sanctioning, it's setting apart something for a specific use. And then we have glorification. Glorification is where we become perfect. We're in heaven, um, you know, and you have that idea of us floating around on clouds, strumming little harps with a halo. Um, that's glorification, even though that's not the way it'll be, but that's the way it's depicted in Looney Tunes, so that's what we'll roll with. Okay, so uh, we, have, we, have, we have salvation, then we have sanctification. Our life as Christians, as believers, is this process of sanctification. It's not something that happens overnight. It's something that grows in us. And God is so committed to this process of sanctification that he puts in you his Holy Spirit to work inside of you what it is that he wants you to grow in. Does this make sense? So, and all of us are this way, like, when you open up the Word of God, you start reading something, and even though there's, you know, billions of words in this Bible, and, and they, they say so many things, whether you understand it or not, you always find something in there that applies to your heart and life. Isn't that amazing? This is process of sanctification that God can, that tailor make details to fit your life, to grow you from, from point A to point B and get you to the place where God wants you to be. That's sanctification. You can't hit sanctification by going, here's all the things I want you to do. Make sure you accomplish all of these 10 things and then you'll be sanctified. Okay, this, it's kind of this idea of, 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 of holiness being a list of rules that we follow. And so we come up with all these things. Pastors talked about them many times. Like, okay, then you got to wear jean skirts down to your ankles, right? Ladies can't wear pants. You can't cut your hair. You got to have everything just in the right order. When, when you go to, um, I went to Zambia, and, and uh, Zambia is still kind of under a lot of this because the missionaries that came over at the beginning of the 19th century from, or the 20th century, from uh, England had all of these rules. Pastors wear suits with ties. If they don't wear a suit and tie, they're not a pastor. So I go over there, and I look like this. And they go, you're a reverend? I say, yes, sir, I am. And they go, you don't look like a reverend. Why? Because the rule is a pastor wears a coat and a tie. So I bought a coat and a tie, <laughs> right? So uh, some of those rules that we have, like women, women have all, they have to wear skirts and they have to be below, below the knee. They have to be this long. Men do not wear shorts. Well, I wear shorts on the flight because it's a 20-hour it's a flight. It's a long day of travel. And so I'm wearing shorts and Crocs and I get off the plane and the missionary says to me, she says, she says you are so American, Right? Because I don't fit the standard of holiness. Men wear pants. They don't wear shorts. Okay? And so when you would see somebody from a different country, uh, just a country down in Africa, like South Africa, they would, somebody would have shorts on, and they would go, oh, they're from South Africa. They're not Zambian. Why did they know that? Because they didn't follow their rules of conduct. And sometimes that's true of us when it comes to Christianity. We look at somebody and go, oh, they voted this certain way. Oh, they, they believe in this. Oh, they, they don't do this. Or, oh, they act that way. And then we, we chalk up becoming more Christ-like 
to a list of rules, and that's not how God has established it, right? So uh, in, in the Old Testament, the, the law has this long list of rules, and, and that didn't work. They didn't work to save people. Is it a reflection of how we are on the inside? Many times, yes. Like, for instance, if I'm a Christian, I should stop lying, right? Before I was a Christian, I didn't care about lying, right? And so I become a Christian, and it's all of a sudden, I see, like, thou shalt not lie. It's like, well, yeah. I should be more Christ-like. I should be a truth-teller. I should be a person who doesn't envy. I should be a person who loves other people. So these things come out of me because of sanctification. I'm becoming more Christ-like. And that's our, our process in this Christian life. It's who we need to be. The Bible says that as we live and as we connect to Jesus, those things will flow out of us. In the Old Testament, there's this... There's this um, there's this story about the children of Israel. They're captured by Pharaoh. They're slaves in Egypt. And Moses comes and he says, let my people go. And they go through 10 plagues. And eventually they get out of Egypt and they're supposed to go to a promised land. They're supposed to go to a place where God has for them. It's the place that God has chosen. Many hundreds of years before they even existed, God has chosen it for them. And they get out into the wilderness, and Moses has all of these, these things that he says, um, <clears throat> that he, he is speaking for God, and he says, we're going to go here, we're going to go there, and he starts to give them direction, and he has the Ten Commandments. And all of a sudden, when they think about going into the promised land, they get a little worried. And so they send 12 spies, and 12 spies go in, and 10 spies come back, and they say, we can't go into the promised land because there's giants there. Two of them say, we can go into the promised land, uh, that God will fight for us, that it's good, it's a good place for us, that God wants us to have there. We know that God has promised that place. And so uh, the 10 sow a seed of such negativity and doubt that a million people are basically like, we're not going to go into the promised land. How about we go back to Egypt? How about we just stay here in the desert? Can we just do anything else except go to the place that God has for us? Two, Joshua and Caleb happened to be the youngest. Now, they were about 40, and I'm not going to say that that's like the golden age, but it's pretty close to the golden age. Okay, so if you're above 40, you've got to pay attention to us under 40 people. Right, Trey? Trey's not even, oh, there he is, okay. Thank you, Trey, man, that's by myself, man. I'll dye my hair blonde and start jumping around. Um, <laughs> Joshua and Caleb, they're like, we can go, we can go and take this land. We can, we can go in there, and we know there's giants, but we can fight them. And, and every, everybody else is like, no, there's no way. As a matter of fact, we're so small in our own eyes, and we're small in their eyes. They know that we're small. We know we're small. There's no way we can defeat them. And because of their decision to lie dormant on what God has promised and not go forward, the entire older generation missed out on the promised land, and the younger generation 40 years later, got to go in, okay? That's a tragic story, but here's, the, here's the, the takeaway for us, is that sometimes in getting to the place that God has for you, it is a struggle. Sometimes in getting to the place that God has already promised to you, there's going to be a little pushback. There's going to be a little stress. There's going to be a, a little tension but if you will trust God, he will get you there. That's a picture of sanctification, okay? The only way that you can lose out on God's promise is to not trust God's word of promise. 
That's, that's, a, that's a whole word. That's a whole sermon. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to head home now. The only way you'll miss out on the place that God has for you, the perfect place of promise, is that you give up on what God has actually said. The only way, hallelujah, only way you'll miss out on what God has for you is if you give up on God's word of promise to you. Now here's the problem. Most of us miss out on this sanctification, and this is just my intro, so I'm going to be like pastor, I'm going to preach an intro for 45 minutes, I'm going to give you one verse and send you home. How's that sound? This process of sanctification is, is, is this, this place where we're kind of in the desert. We're not home in glorification. We've been saved. We've been delivered from our sin life. And now we're out here roaming around. And, and, and many of us in our Christian lives are wandering, meandering, not based on the word that God has for us. We're wandering and meandering based on our current feelings and the hope that it will all turn out okay. Sound familiar? And the reason we do that is because we don't know the word of God. We don't know what God has said. You can say things like, I will sing of the goodness of God all my life. He's been faithful. All my life, he's been so, so good. I love you, Lord. Your, your mercy has never failed me. And somebody goes, I can think of a time when, when, when God failed. I don't know that God will... Will, will win this time. I don't think it's going to be a victory this time. Right? Not knowing that it's the word of God that says he's good, that says he never fails, that he always leads us to triumph. It's the word of God that says that, but we won't stand on it. We just meander into a place where we go, you know what? I hope it all works out for the good. We're in the desert. Now, here's the deal. A whole generation of people missed out on God's best because they wouldn't trust the word of God. They wouldn't submit themselves to that sanctification process. So the question for you today is, will you submit yourself to the sanctification process? Will you submit yourself to what God has for you to go through, to, to push through? Even if there's giants, would you go fight them? Would you stand against them? Based on one thing, the word of God over that situation. Think about that. Now, I can think of a million battles that I wouldn't fight because of uncertainty, but I can think of a lot of battles that I should fight based on God simply going, hey, you're going to win. Think about that. If God would like knock on your door, like the Amazon person that's been at your house for the last two months dropping off everything, toilet paper, you know, DVDs. The DVDs still exist. Um, <laughs> drop it. At my house, they've been dropping off... Uh, uh, shampoo, they've dropped off uh, gaff tape. You don't even know what gaff tape is. Uh, they've they've dro dropped off clips for, uh, for, for phones. I mean, all sorts of things at my front door. And my wife's like, what's that? And it's like, uh, it's, it's just a, a cable, a TRS cable. And like, what do we need that for? It's like, uh, it's something at the church I got to plug in. Uh, all sorts of different things. But if Jesus came up and his package was, hey, you're going to win, just go fight. Just go fight. That would be a battle that I would fight. Why? Because Jesus gave me the word. Think about it. Think about it. There's a lot of battles that you shouldn't fight. There's a lot of battles you shouldn't be in. 
there's a lot of things that you're stewing around, planning for. You're like, you got stuff out on the table, like old school maps. You got risk of little players moving around trying to figure out how you're going to fight this battle. And God would just come in and wipe it all out and go, no, this is the battle you need to fight. That would be encouraging, wouldn't it? The only way we'll get to the strategy for what we are supposed to be fighting is to know God's word again and again and again. And many of us, two months, three months, a year, haven't cracked open the word of God to even know what it says. Can I just be honest? Last night I opened the book of Mark and I just began to just read just straight through. And I don't, I, I, I was like, God, just speak to me. And every line, I was like, just tears running down my face. My daughter, Reagan, comes in. She's like, Dad, are you crying? <laughs> like, no, I'm not, I'm not crying. I'm just, just sitting here reading the Bible. What are you talking about? Just literally, just story after story. And it wasn't like it was like some great, like, Brandon, thou shalt, blah, blah, blah. It was just falling in love with what God had to say. It was like I could see his strategy for my life based on his goodness. And that's the sanctification process that God wants to do in us. But many of us are just wandering around in the desert with a hope and a prayer that maybe it'll all work out and you don't know what God says for your life. So today I want to talk about, this is my actual sermon, not my intro anymore. What, what Paul is writing to a group of people, he's talking about the glory of God which is one of my favorite subjects that I don't really talk about a ton, but I've had an infatuation with since I was like a teenager. And uh, he's writing to these people, and he's talking about his life and how they're out here, they're, they're, they're preaching Jesus, and they're, they're extending themselves to people. And he's trying to write to a, a, a church that's in, in Corinth, which is one of the most dark and, and sinful areas of the whole entire Mediterranean. And there's new believers there. They're growing. They're, they're, they're trying to follow after God. And they've made many mistakes. And Paul writes two, actually three letters, but two that we have in the Bible. Um, and he begins to address a lot of things in life because they're in the sanctification process. But what he wants to bring out is, is this little treasure right in the middle of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians and he begins to talk about the glory, but he, he addresses their life. And I want to read that to you today um, as I've been talking about abiding and staying connected to God. So here we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And let's start in verse 6. Here it goes. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And in the King James, it, it reads a little different. Do you have it up here? For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that's one of my favorite parts, that the excellency of the power Maybe of God and not of us. And, and this, this is the word I want to talk about, this excellency of the power. The 
excellency of the power. And I want you to, to, to write that down. I want you to think about it. The excellency of the power is excellency. Excellency. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your grace and your power that's in our lives. I pray today that it would shine through, that we would know it in a new way, and that our sanctification wouldn't be a meandering, but it would be a direct place where we are moving towards, pressing towards, because of your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. The excellency of the power. So here's here's Paul. He's talking about, he says, like, hey, it's just us. He's, he's talking about the glory of some of my favorite passages of Scripture right before that. He says, we, we don't preach ourselves. As a matter of fact, we're coming to you with a message that's not about how great we are. It's not about how, how wonderful we are. It's, after all, we're, we're kind of like just in the middle of nowhere, but we're moving towards a place that is full of his excellency. And because of God's power that's in the place to come, he is giving us power right now. Now, think about that. Because of the power that's in one place where, where God is out in the future, and in a place where he is, where he wants you to be, he is giving you his power now. And his son Jesus came to give you that power, that excellency of his glory here. And so excellency is, is, is kind of hard to understand Except for that we, we kind of attach it to, to excellent, perfection. As a matter of fact, in, the, in the, the Middle Ages, they would talk about your excellency. They would, they would see a king and they would say, your excellency. And they would bow and your excellency. And if you say it too many times, if you look in the mirror and say, excellency, 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 it gets kind of old and redundant. You forget what it means. And you got to remember that little sticker that your teacher put on your paper when you got an A on your spelling test and it said, excellent. Excellent is perfect. It's excelling. It's, it's going above and beyond what just is mediocre and going to another level. The, the, the root word of, of excellency comes from excel, which is interesting to me that nobody ever talks about that, but actually that when, when God gets involved It's not just perfect, it's something that moves forward. It's pressing forward into a place that God has. It's a lot like sanctification. It's not stale, it's not one place. It's moving forward. And Paul talks about this, I press on towards the mark of the high calling. I've run the race. I'm moving forward into what God has for me. And that's what we need to have. And so what he talks about is let light shine out of darkness. God who let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts. Now I want you to imagine this, that God is existing in complete darkness and chaos. Genesis 1-1 says that in the beginning was God and the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep and, and that um, he began to create. And so the first thing he says that we all know, he says, let there be light. It's different from the darkness, right? It's actually very big. It goes, let there be light. It says, the same God that spoke and said, let there be light, has shined this light into our souls. Now, before it was creation, now it's you. Before it was, let there be light. Now it's, let there be light in you, in me. And so what he says is, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made 
his light in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, there's all this talk about how dark the world is, how dark everything is, how everyone is affected by circumstance, by situations, whatever. And so God knows this, and so what he does is he puts in us the light of his glory. Now, did you notice when the lights went on for creation was the same lights that went on for you and your son? When God said, let there be light at creation, it's the same thing he said to you when I have a purpose, I have a plan for you, I have a place for you, I have a promised land, a place that you will go, a place I'll show you, a place I'll take you. It's the same light. And many of us get caught up in the darkness. And dare I say that the children of Israel, when they looked at giants and they're like, we can't go in, we can't take it, that they were more overcome by the darkness than by the light. Think about that. And Paul says, look, he says, it's not an issue of like, look, you got your life all together. It's shiny and new. It's gold. He says, no, it's, it's jars of clay. Jars from the earth. Like, we don't even eat out of those kind of jars anymore. Right? Just dirty old, you know, pour some water out of a jar of clay. We don't do that. We have porcelain. We're a little worried about what's in our cup. It's a little, a little dirty in here. Just jars of clay. So many of us are walking in a dark place that we look to ourselves. This is the same thing that the children of Israel did. They said, we can't beat the giants. Don't go fight. There's no way that we can do it. Think about that. Does that sound like you? I'm surrounded by so much darkness. I'm surrounded by so much trouble. I'm surrounded by so much calamity. Everything that's coming at me from every side. And you start looking at the outward instead of the promise. And what's the promise? That the glory of God, the same light, the same words that spoke, let there be light, is saying, let there be light in you. I put my light in earthen vessels. Why? For the excellency of his Glory. This thing happened in Daniel. Actually, Daniel, what happened in Daniel is, is that uh, the whole nation of Israel, I mean, they've grown, they've thrived, they're, they're kind of in the promised land. And what happens is, you know, like a, a whole country comes in, just ransacks them, takes them prisoner, and begins to uh, enslave them for hundreds of years. And they begin to take young men who are is, Israel, uh, Israelites, Hebrews, and they begin to train them so they can be diplomats. And so they get Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You might have heard of this story. But they get Daniel, and they find him, and they bring him as like, Daniel, you're an excellent prospect for the kind of people we need to be diplomats to your people. So you can imagine a country that overruns people and makes them slaves. And if we get some people, we train them about who we are, what we're going to do. And then they can rule over their own people with our ideals. This is what's happening. And the reason they chose Daniel, this is why. The Bible says that he had an excellent spirit. You can read it in Daniel 3. That Daniel had an excellent spirit. Excellent. Where do you think he got his excellent spirit? 
We know later that Daniel goes to the lion's den, that he prays and the, God shuts the mouth of the lions. We, he prays for, for three days and, and, and goes on a fast and angels come and talk to him. And crazy stuff happens to Daniel. And he is in the middle of the darkest time of Israel, but inside of him is the excellency of God's spirit. It's, it's God's power alive in him. And this, this, this excellency of power is translated kind of in three different ways in the Bible. It's, it's the excellency of power, sometimes just power. It is the anointing of God, and sometimes it's the glory. The glory. We're not talking about gold medals and, you know, standing in the ring and getting all the glory. We're talking about God's presence and power. It is the excellency of his spirit that's on you. And what God wants for you is for you to walk in his excellency everywhere you go. And he calls this the anointing. He calls this the, the power. He calls it the glory so that you can begin to see that God's presence, everything that he is, is at a higher level than everything around you. That it is defined by a place that he is determined, not by a place that you're stuck in. But so many of us are stuck, and so then we assess our situations by our current situation, rather than the excellency of his glory. Check out Philippians uh, 3.8. It says this, What is more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. This is Paul. He's talking about Philippians. And it's, it's pretty amazing to me, this chapter, because he's writing from prison. When I was in Israel, in Caesarea, as a matter of fact, um, they, they were walking by, and there's this, there's this hole. It looks like Ninja, Ninja Turtles come out of it, you know, like just a, a manhole size. And it's about 12 feet deep, and you can see the bottom of it. And it's not very wide. And the guide comes by and says, this right here, this hole, is a prison. This is what Paul would have written Philippians from. Just a hole in the ground. Just sitting there. He's like, I consider everything lost. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ. He wasn't worried about getting out of prison. I mean, you might have thought about it, I'm sure. He wasn't worried about all of his work being lost. He wasn't worried. He's like, I just, I just want to know Christ and his glory. I consider them garbage. One version says, I consider them dung. And where I come from, dung is poop. You know? You know what I'm talking about? We're worried about an economy. We're worried about our job. We're worried about so many other things. Paul's like, I consider that crap compared to knowing Jesus. Why would he go from this idea of, I mean, he starts talking about, I have, I have everything. I, I, was, I was schooled at the world right places. I had all the money. Why would he go from all of that to a place where he just craves Jesus? It's because that he sees the glory of on a daily basis. And so when he writes to Corinthians, he says, look, it's like you have this treasure, this light, this glory, excellency of his power in your normal, everyday circumstance. And it will shine forth. It'll shine and do incredible things if you will trust 
God's word about it. 1 John 2.27 tells us that the same anointing that was in Jesus is now in us. Now think about that for a second. The anointing, the glory, the power, the excellency is in you. It remains in you. It stays in you. And that was the thing about Jesus is that the anointing of God stayed on Jesus. He was baptized and he comes up and the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove and, and God opens up and says, opens up the sky and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And, and we think about that. It's an amazing moment. I've been baptized in the river, as a matter of fact, and I just tell you that no sky opened up. There's no, you know, dove that came down and rested on my shoulder. This amazing thing that happened to Jesus didn't happen to me. Right? And what happens from that moment on is that Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit. He goes around doing ministry and, 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 and uh, he, he does his, his thing until he, until he dies and rises from the dead. But that anointing is the same presence and power and glory of God that was in the Old Testament it was on the Old Testament prophets. It was what was in the temple. It's coming through, and it comes on Jesus. And John says that it comes and stays. It was so heavy that it transformed a whole entire world. The anointing that was on Jesus transformed a whole entire world. He's the only prophet that rose from the dead. We can talk about Buddha, and Buddha says some good things. I can read through things, and you go like, whatever you think on, you shall become, which is true. It says that in the Bible. I can, I can look at Elijah Muhammad, and I can look at some of the things he says, and he, he probably has some things that are actually true, like don't eat this or don't do that. And, and, you know, he says some really crazy things too, but like a prophet who says some good things, good teaching. I look at Mahatma Gandhi. And I can look at his teaching and, and follow after it. I can look at all of these wonderful men and while they have contributed to thought, they've contributed to philosophy, they, none of them have transformed the world like Jesus. And the only difference between good philosophy and good teaching and transforming the world is the excellency, the glory of God. It's the kind of power that can say, let there be light, and there is light. So that same anointing that was on Jesus, the Bible says, in, in John, it says, now it remains in you. It doesn't come and go. It's not like one day you're anointed when you have goosebumps and you're listening to, to you know, your favorite worship song. Like, oh, this song's so good. I'm going to see a victory in my car. And I'm so anointed. And you walk out like, that was so anointed. You, know, you come to church, it's like, so good to be back in church. You know, so anointed here. Here's, here, Allie sing, and her voice is like and the, the voice of an angel. It's not the anointing that's on that particular thing. The anointing doesn't come and go, the anointing stays. Just like the children of Israel, who are out in the desert, God had already prepared the victory. God had already established what they're walking. He'd already delivered them. It's this sanctification process, this submission to the thing that already exists. 
And that's where we have to be for the anointing. The anointing of God rests in us. How do we grow in it? It doesn't come and go. It doesn't leave. It doesn't, you know, whatever. It's there. It's will we submit to it. So the same power that says, let there be light, is inside of you. Light. But it's the darkness that feels so real. Turn off the lights. It's like, man, it's like, it's dark. It feels hopeless. It feels like we can't go on. It feels like we'll never make it to the place that God has actually promised us. But he says, no, that light is in you. It's in earthen vessels. It's in jars of clay. So, well, I'm not worthy of that. Well, good news is, is jars of clay is just the lowest you can go. And he chose to put his light in there. Could you imagine how cool it would be if, if, if God was like, you know what? Here's a list of 10 things. As soon as you come out as pure gold, then I'll put my anointing in you. As soon as you can get that cleaned up, that's when I'm going to come in with light and it's going to be totally different. And, and we, would just, we would just live in this tension of, of, of you know, like, like today I'm good and, and, and someday I'm not good. And today, I'm, you know, but eventually I'll get there and then God will fill me with light. And that's modern Christianity almost to a T. It's not the gospel. Paul goes, God sent Jesus to save sinners, of which I am the worst. It's not like a gold pot. Paul's like, I kill people just because they like Jesus. I'd hunt them down, throw them in prison, throw them in a hole 12 feet deep. Why? Because they were in love with Jesus. Not a good person. Done the worst. For some reason, God says, let there be light, and he put it in me. Now everywhere I go, I just, I, I, it's, it's, it's almost like God doesn't want it to be about me. He just wants to show how great he is. And to that we say amen. That in every circumstance, he's like, look, when, I, when, I have, when I'm weak, he's strong. When I have troubles, he shows up. When I don't have an answer, he gives an answer. That's the God we serve. It's light in the darkness, and it is in you. It is in you. But you can wander around a desert, or you can submit yourself to that purpose, to that plan, to get to the promised land that he's chosen for you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I realize it's like, you know, we're supposed to go easy because we're getting back to reality, normal. But the reality is that you have the light of God inside of you. The reality is, is that he has chosen to put his powerful blinding light. I begin to read the story of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Bible says that the glory of God came down on him. And his, his clothes, his skin just began to shine brighter than any lightning. Peter's freaked out. He's like, this is, this is awesome. Elijah and, and Moses show up in ghostly form. I don't know what's going on. Peter's like, this is it. This is where we exist. And all of a sudden, they're gone. 
Jesus goes back down the mountain, heals a demon-possessed boy. Not because of the glory on the mountain, but the glory that's present in the darkness. Miracles happen because of the light that's in you. Things change because of the light that's in you. Getting to the place where God has promised is possible because of the light that's in you. Will you submit to it? Father, move in us today with your Holy Spirit. Heal, restore, and renew. Give us awareness. The Bible says, let the eyes of your understanding be enlightened to know how great the love of God is on you, in you, through you. God, do it in us. We're just pots of clay, broken. Sometimes they're chipped. You got issues on the outside, issues on the inside. But you put your light in us. Why? For the excellence of your glory. And it excels us. It moves us forward. Shines in the face of darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. Father, we are yours. We are yours. We submit ourselves to you, God excellency of your glory. Jesus. Father, we need you. Greater measure. We know that you promised us. Give us strength clarity and vision to shine in the darkness to walk forward and submit ourselves to who you are do greater things in us than we ever thought imaginable in Jesus name Amen give God a big praise today